one of the big kickers I wish I would have learned a long time ago, and I'm well, I'll say this, I'm still learning it, is not to be led by my feelings or led by what I see, but really almost tenaciously hold on to this. Like this is so foundational is the truth of the word of God has to lead me. I can't be led by circumstances or like if I would have been led by circumstances my whole life through this, like I talk about the trauma that happened in my early childhood or different things through my life, feelings and all that will always derail you. So hold on to the truth, get a good hold on the word of God and the promises of God. And I promise you, we have this hope that's scriptural as an anchor for our soul. Welcome to Rise and Lead. I'm Benjamin Lundquist, and this podcast is all about personal growth and leadership. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our Rise and Lead community. We are a community of leaders who are passionate about growth, leadership, and expanding our impact on the world. My guest on today's episode is Michelle. She is a portrait artist, lover of people, and a storyteller. She owns and operates Michelle Mitchell Photo, which takes her all over the world. She is a creative image builder, confident in her style, and recognized for her ability to capture the true heart of a moment. She believes every human being has a story worth hearing and a story worth telling. Michelle's mission is to be a conduit for people to do just that. In addition to photography, she is also four years into restoring an 1886 farmhouse in Texas and is documenting the entire process via social media. The restorative process closely parallels her own personal story of restoration, room by room, piece by piece. She has discovered that this house was all of our stories, broken to beautiful, beauty from ashes, nothing too far beyond God's reach. This current project and movement, a house God is building, is now being carried around the world into the hearts of people who desperately need to be reminded of the restorative and transforming power of God's love. This is a powerful episode you don't want to miss. If you are new to the podcast, thank you for being here. I truly hope that this podcast brings a lot of value for you. The Rise and Lead podcast is designed specifically to motivate and equip you to live your greatest life with maximum impact. We are going to find out what makes great leaders great and how you can start growing yourself, rise, expanding your impact, lead, and living the life you have been created to live. I want to personally invite you to be a Rise and Lead partner in spreading the word about this podcast and all the episodes that will follow so together we can reach more people. 
Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can get all the episodes that drop every month. Rate the podcast. I'm always going for a five-star rating. If you think Rise and Lead deserves five stars, I would greatly appreciate that. Leave a written review about how the podcast has added real value to your life. Your reviews, they make a big difference. And finally, share about Rise and Lead with your family, your friends, and your social media network. Screenshot this episode with with Michelle, all about restoration and send it to someone or text somebody the episode link. You are helping people rise to their next level by connecting them to an episode. And when you share about the podcast as an Instagram story, make sure you tag me and I will always try and give you a repost. I like to start each episode with prayer. So let's pray together. God, I don't believe that anyone landed on this episode by accident. Use this conversation to give people hope, a stronger sense of who you are calling them to be, and the courage to take their next step with you. Amen. Let's jump into my conversation with Michelle. Man, I'm so honored. As I told you before, we started this, your podcast and Everything you share on Instagram and on social media has been a massive blessing to me for years. So when you contacted me to be on and have a quick conversation, I was so honored. We're from Arkansas originally. So I was born and raised in small gotcha. town, Arkansas, kind of South Central, you know, a little town of 18,000 people. And then I moved out to a Dallas area to go to school, go to college when I was 18. So I had this very unique, like Arkansas slash Texas. I work a lot in Tennessee. So I always say, you know, you have a Southern accent when you're in Texas and people yep. stop you and go, wait, where are you from? So, like, this is- <laughs> Yeah. When I was in high school, we used to vacation at Table Rock and Beaver yeah. Lake in I- Arkansas. Yeah. So, that's a beautiful part of is. the country, honestly. So that's incredible. I love it. Yeah. Well, one of my hopes with our conversation is that people, I think, can understand your story a lot better. If you were to look at a word that you feel like describes your story well? If you were to look at a single word, what word comes to mind when you think about your story? Yeah. Well, I've processed and prayed through this question a lot. And I think people that follow me will probably kind of guess what I'm going to say. But the biggest, I think there's a lot of words that I could apply to my story, but what I share the most is the word restored. And I think that kind of encompasses everything about me from my story to Honestly, my passion for people and ministry is that message of restoration and restoration in Christ. And especially like you just said, I love that you mentioned that, even the evolving of what it means to me now, even opposed to like two years ago, what it meant to me. I've kind of walked through my own journey and my journey with people and seeing where the world is. And restoration, I feel like the world has never needed or craved restoration like it does right now. The earth's kind of groaning for it. And I always say it's the gospel message. It's what Mm. Christ came to do is make broken things whole. It was a tough question for someone like me as a contemplator. I thought of all sorts of words, but uh, restored is the word I would use. But I think that is the heart of the gospel is restoration. How would you define restoration? Yeah. So I love that you asked that too. So I'm a Christian by faith. I've looked it up and having such a passion for that word and my personal project I'm doing here, I've looked it up and the actual definition of restoration is to bring something back to its original state, to the original intent. So only the designer can do that. We can only ask the designer what the original intent was. 
But I like to take it a step further, even in my walk as a Christian, and I believe that biblical restoration is somehow Christ not only making it whole and fixing it and making all the broken things right, but somehow, and only the way He can do, making it better than before. So broken things now being made whole and carrying the depth and the richness and the story and then pouring out of that. So it's only Christ, I always say only Christ can do that. You can have restoration, but biblical restoration in Him. So that's kind of the Michele version of Mm. (laughs) the biblical restoration that I'd share about on my feed and stuff. God restores to what was and so much more. And more, yeah. And more. How have you seen God's faithfulness continue to show up in your story? Yeah, so God's faithfulness in hand has been all over my life, you know, his fingerprints. So I share a lot. I was raised in a minister's home. I shared earlier, I was from Arkansas growing up in a small town. My dad has been an evangelist all my life. He's traveled and we were minister's family growing up, raised in church. So I have a unique perspective. So I was raised as a believer in a minister's home, but we, like everyone else, had a lot of hardship growing up and a lot of trauma happened early in my childhood that I share about. And so My story has been, like I said, one of restoration and Christ making broken things whole. And so God's faithfulness, I've seen, didn't always feel it or know it in the moment. I didn't always see the thread. But now even at 38, I'm beginning to kind of see the thread of God's faithfulness. And like me talking about that biblical restoration, even the hardships of my life and the trauma when healed and restored, now being used somehow to like minister to others and Somehow he's made my life so much better, even through the hardship I went through. So his faithfulness, even in the hard times, brutal times to certain seasons of my life, now I can truly say somehow I'm grateful for those because they've made me better. They've given me more compassion. I always say like they're making me walk more fully in Christ. The John Mm -hmm. 10, 10 life. I talk about that a lot. I came to give you life and I came to give you life more abundantly. Well, what does that mean? As a believer, I used a lot of Christianese and I thought, when I was mid-20s, I talk about that's when my healing journey really began. I say as a believer, even I was looking into this life and like the John 10, 10 thing, I didn't resonate with it. I thought I'm a believer. I know I'm going to heaven, but I wasn't living in the fullness of what God, I knew God had intended for me. So the faithfulness and hand of God, I mean, I could sit here all day with you and tell stories, but I see it all over my life, even through the hard times. How do you begin to build healing momentum? Anything you can share from that healing journey for you starting in your 20s that could offer somebody like a perspective or first step on how they could begin to move that healing journey forward? Yeah, well, I always say everyone's different, but in my journey, I'll just kind of share that with you. I, like I said before, was raised as a believer in a minister's home, but growing up, I don't really know if it was the culture of our town or if it was the timing of just the church in that day, but everyone, believers, all of us, we go through trauma, we go through hurt in life. We have woundings. I had learned, it was kind of a learned behavior, but as a believer, I just kind of tried to keep walking past all those woundings, all those things that were kind of tucked away in the crevices and rooms of my heart. And pain demands to be felt. It really does. And I got to a point in my mid-20s, I was about 24, where I tell people I was putting like band-aids over bullet holes. I mean, I was bleeding out. There was these areas in my life that were just not healthy. I had been wounded and I was, you know, it was coming out in relationships and trust. I had unhealed shame, different things that were kind of tucked just down in the crevices of my heart that I needed to open up and let Christ really deal with. So mid twenties, I decided in my personal journey to start seeing a great counselor. I got referred to someone who's a believer who was 
brilliant friend of mine had seen her and um, I began to see her and the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I say, I began my deep healing journey with God, the tough stuff, I call it that mid twenties. And even into today, I always talk about restoration being a process. We miss our miracles a lot of times that God's doing because we're looking for these moments. Mm. And even through scripture, all through the New Testament, we don't really understand always why he uses these processes, but he does. It's a mystery. But healing for me and restoration has been a process. So I'll go to this counseling appointment and I open up and I start, you know, unveiling all this stuff and these crevices in my heart. And we had a moment and I got healed, but it's been a journey. So I still walk with that counselor today. I don't see her as often mm. as I did then, but there's been so much healing that's happened in my life. But I asked her one time, I said, is there like an ending point of when I need to stop seeing you? Can you kind of guide me here? And she said, well, that's up to you and the Lord. But she said, I always look at it like this, great leaders and people, especially in ministry or people that are walking your journey. She said, I always say it's like changing oil in a car. You know, every 3,000 miles you come in, even if the car is not breaking down, you look under the hood, you check the engine, you check the fluids. That's really helped me in my life to keep moving forward and to really walk in the fullness. That and several other things, but that was a big key in my personal journey, going to a great counselor and starting Mm -hmm. that, walking that out with God. It is not a destination as much as it is a lifelong process of always, and I think it's of always becoming more than he thought was possible. Right, because there's always more of God, right? There's always more of Him. So until heaven, I always say the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, like, and I love the word he used, I'm convinced of this, Mm -hmm. that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So that's kind of been one of the themes and like the anthems of my life and story is he who began a good work. And even friends of mine will encourage me on tough days. Hey, Michelle, he who began that good work, he's going to complete it. It's a process and it's becoming a journey that we're all on. One of the big kickers I wish I would have learned a long time ago, and I'm, well, I'll say this, I'm still learning it is not to be led by my feelings or led by what I see, but really almost tenaciously hold on to this. Like this is so foundational is the truth of the word of God has to lead me. I can't be led by circumstances or like if I would have been led by circumstances my whole life through this, like I talk about the trauma that happened in my early childhood or different things through my life, feelings and all that will always derail you. So hold on to the truth, get a good hold on the word of God and the promises of God. And I promise you, we have this hope that's scriptural as an anchor for our soul. It anchors us through those tough times and the waves that will come. They will come. And so that's one of the things. And like I say, it's still a journey for me. I'm a feeler by nature. I'm an artist. Mm. Serves me well in some ways, but in some ways, I mean, I read the other day, fire your emotions as the CEO Mm. of your life. Like, fire them. (laughs) And so that thread, I talk about it's God's faithfulness and the promises of God that even through mountains and the valleys, it's all leading to something beautiful. Yeah. Something I've been sitting with in the last year, feelings are not Lord over my life. Right. They are evidence of what is happening in my life, but feelings are not Lord over my life. And so I think in a similar vein, I think for me, a lot of the last few years has really been replacing lies with truth. And even though you feel something, 
asking the question, what do I need to learn from what I'm feeling in the moment? But just recognizing my feelings are not the CEO, or you may have said CFO, but CEO of my life. And they're not Lord over my life. Like God is Lord over my life. So learn from your feelings, but make sure you are founding and letting your life be directed by God's promises and by his word. So kind of that exchanging of lies for truth and really anchoring your life in what you know to be true even more than what you may be feeling in the moment. Absolutely. And letting that pain, I never really knew what to do with that because I heard this, but I would still, just because we're all becoming, when I felt pain, I didn't really know what to do with it. So I've learned pain is kind of like a little red flag in your heart. I call it humans. You can't really get away from it, the feelings, but getting better at running to God with them quicker. So believing truth and that pain being a red flag of something being even getting to the root. That's one of the beauties of counseling too, is instead of dealing with fruit, you get to the root. Why am I in this cycle? Why am I triggered here? Why do I constantly feel pain? And so those things too, just taking that to the Holy Spirit, taking that to God and quicker. (laughs) And like you said, not letting it be a guide for my life, but me asking the Lord, like, what do you say about this? And then that's where I believe you find true healing at those roots. You are a world-class photographer. I'm just going to say it and have a (laughs) gift, I would assume, for making people feel very loved, very comfortable, and capturing incredible moments. If anybody has not gone to your Instagram, I'd encourage anybody listening, shoot on over, take a look at the moments that she has captured. How did you get into photography? How did you become an entrepreneur? And what is it that just taps into your passion for people that is lived out through photography. Yeah. So this blows people's minds sometimes, but I never set out to do photography. I know that's crazy, but I always had a love as a kid in Arkansas for the arts. Like it's just in me. So I was always a creative kid and teenager. But when I was in high school, you know, we didn't have social media. We didn't have all this that we have now. And so the thought of actually making photography a profession was never even on my radar. So I tell people I kind of fell into it. I did it as a hobby. I saved up all my money, all my high school graduation money. I can't remember what I had. Went to Walmart and bought a Canon film camera. That was the foundation of all this. Started kind of building a portfolio just for fun on the side and basically paying people in those days to take their photo, like going around to people. Can I take your photo? Can I take your family's photo? Can I take your kid's senior photo? So built a portfolio on the side, was doing it kind of just for fun. And there was a friend of mine worked in the journalism department at Louisiana Tech University. He was really gifted in the arts. He saw my work one day and he said to me, planted a seed. He said, Michelle, I really think there's a gift here. I really think there's something here. The way you shoot is different than other things I've seen. And I thought, and because of who he was, his words held a lot of weight with me. So that really planted a seed and continued on that journey I'm self-taught, which is kind of crazy and scary, you know, <laughs> there's been a lot of ups and downs with that. I've just worked on my craft over time and I was working at a university in college and I was going to graduate school for counseling and social work. I wasn't even on the road to do full-time photography. My love for people and stories kind of had me on that path. Anyways, things got too busy. I was shooting and going to school. And I just felt the call to make the jump into this full-time photo business. And that has been 13 years ago. Mm. Made the jump and honestly was scared to death, but 
I've never looked back now. <laughs> I tell people all the time, I still use the counseling and social work stuff that I learned and that path and my photography, God has merged everything. So it's all part of the story, you know. Where has photography taken you in your life that you didn't anticipate going? Oh, man. So much about my life. I always say, like, if God would have answered my prayers, like, early on in my life, about my life, about my career, about, I would have stopped so short. God had Ephesians 3.20 so much better for me. And so photography has taken me places. I mean, I've met the most incredible people all over the world. I have a passion for people and a passion for their stories. And I believe everybody has a story worth hearing and telling. And so the people I've met all over the world from Uganda to Brussels, Belgium, Amsterdam, London, all sorts of places in the US. I mean, it's just been incredible and taught me so much. I'm so grateful for that. I can tell when I look at your photography, and this is my very non-professional observation. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't wait. I can't wait hey, to hear it. <laughs> so take this with a massive grain of salt. I want to just affirm your gift in that yeah. when you capture people, the impression that I have is that you have created a space where people feel so loved and secure yeah. in who they are that you can capture a moment in time. Wow. And that moment in that photograph that moment ends up being captured and it lives on forever. And I think that's so high value for people and for retelling stories. I would imagine there are some folks who you arrange to do a photo shoot and you're setting things up and they just may not love themselves in the moment. Like like they just may not feel like this is the right time. I don't feel my worth. I don't feel my value. So how do you like stewarding this moment how do you remind people of their incredible worth and value? How do you get the value that God has put inside of them to come out in the moment so you can capture that moment in time? How do you do that? Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's people first, right? That's kind of my motto in life and everything I do is it's people first. So I have kind of an interesting perspective on this because I was recently, well, maybe a year or two ago, I was in Phoenix and I've done this, like I said, full-time for 13 years and always kind of use the same system for 13 years. But I was in Phoenix with Pastor Tommy Barnett, who started the Dream Center. We went out to do a shoot with him. I was so honored to capture the cover of his book, What If? Pastor Tommy's heart and life has impacted me in a very, very deep way his obedience to God. And so was just thrilled to go out there. And so we started the shoot and there were a couple people that joined us for that shoot who are brilliant and who I trust very, very much. And so after the shoot, one of them came up to me and she said, it was so interesting. I watched you all day with Pastor Tommy. And I was like, oh, did you? You know, I kind of lose sight of everything else. And she said, yeah. And she said, it was so crazy, Michelle. She's like, I even took pictures of it. But she was like, when you went in, you began to talk to him. She said, it was almost like, the camera just disappeared mm-hmm. and it was just you and him. And I thought about that and she sent me the pictures and it was really interesting for me to see that perspective of myself. That sounds odd probably, but of me working and talking to him and in this picture she sent me, he was kind of leaned in and I was kind of leaned in. That's kind of the motto I've always used. That's just like I said in life, that's at Starbucks or if I'm working with Pastor Tommy Barnett or marking in Uganda or wherever it's people first. So walking in and I always tell photographers when I'm mentoring people that are just starting out, I always say, you know, you don't have to just like walk right into the session, right? And like start 
setting up and start work. People first, talk to them, like figure out how their day was, ask them how their week was. I have a genuine, honestly, interest too, and just like knowing people, (laughs) knowing their stories. And so anyways, that's kind of my motto. I didn't set out with this like business model to do that. It's just kind of how the Lord wired me. And honestly, too, even the Lord's help and like, we use the word like anointing on the shoots. I really do believe that. There's usually like a natural ease people talk about when we walk in. They're like, man, that was so much easier and more enjoyable than I expected it to be. Because sadly, probably 75% probably of people that come into the shoots kind of walk in with this hesitant like, Mm -hmm. oh, hate getting my picture taken. I hear that all the time. And then they leave like, man, that was fun. Anyways, people first. And then, like I said, just a mixture too of just honestly, God's divine help on the shoots. You will always have a better project outcome when you are practicing the people first approach. You may think it's project time, but God's really saying, no, it's people time. It's and, people time, yeah. You need to have that conversation or you need to have this moment in time and you'll get to that project. Like it's going to come but just steward the moment. Would it be safe to say that every moment is a people moment? Absolutely. And honestly, too, Ben, when you were just saying that came to me that because Jesus is people first, I look at even my business as full-time ministry. I always tell people, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian by faith and you are living and breathing, you are in full-time ministry, whatever you're doing, it's ministry. And so I do believe too, that because of the people first mentality, that the photos people see, and I guess the ease and the richness of soul and things that you sense or you see is really just an overflow mm. of, like I said, behind the scenes that the conversations we're having, that there is an ease. And so I believe when you love God and love people first, that that you're seeing is just really an overflow of the moment. Yeah, I'm just like capturing it. <laughs> is there anything you do in particular to prepare your mind and heart for a shoot? Yeah. So some of these shoots are obviously, they're all different. None more important than the other. There's just some that hold a little bit more. If it was up to me, every shoot would be super simple and like very, very simple. But some of these obviously hold a little bit more pressure. And there's, I work with authors, book covers and things like that. So there's publishing houses and different people that get involved. And every single morning, like I pretty much have a habit. I quiet my soul every single day. I try to do this. First thing in the morning, this is just my rhythm, but spending time with the Lord in prayer, quieting myself, quieting my soul, asking the Lord. You know, I always say it's so crucial. First thing in the, whatever your day holds to get into agreement with God about your day, whatever it holds. So like I said, every single shoot I approach as ministry. And this is even with people that are on the front of book covers. I've had a lot of incredible conversations with people that even going through hard times themselves that are on the front of book covers. I always say every single day, every single shoot, I approach this ministry. I get along with God. I quiet myself and ask God what He has for my day, what He sees for my day. Lord, how can I serve you and partner with you today? in my shoot with, like, what do you have for them? Mm. So again, people first, it's not about being task driven or pressure of, I have to nail this shot and it has to be the best. And I have to, I've tried to get away from that. And just like I said, get into agreement with God, partner with God and ask him to put his approval and his anointing on the shoot. And then the other step is just an overflow of that. Can you have a season or assignment in life where you are clearly seeing God's blessing and anointing in the middle of struggle? 
Yeah, I always say some of these people that we see on book covers and on big stages and the calling is awesome, but it comes at a cost, really does to walk in sometimes the depth and we can't earn God's love. We can't earn any of that, but I'm just meaning like to really fully walk in the fullness of what God's called us to do. Some of these people we see writing books and on say, I mean, I've had uh, like sacred, sacred conversations, private conversations with people and hearing what they've walked through to write that book and what they've had to overcome to write that book has been very, very impactful for me. It's just shown me people are people. So there's the cost that comes with some of those callings. We just will never have any idea. And I get the honor of hearing sometimes those stories when I go into homes and sit down with people. And like I said, have these conversations before or after shoots. So that has been one of the most impactful things about my business is being able to hear stories. And when I see a book cover, I see it a little bit different Mm -hmm. than maybe others do. And I'll hold those things in my heart, you know, until heaven. And I count it an honor that people share with me. I think just reflecting on what you're saying, what a gift that you have a business that is also your passion, that is all about people, that has also given you a, probably a global community of friends and colleagues all around the world. I just think that's pretty cool. It's cool to me too. Honestly, even hearing you say it, I'm like, wow, thank you, Lord. Just so grateful for it. For anyone following me, they know that my journey doesn't just hold photography. It holds four years ago, I purchased, still crazy to say this, but in 1886, Texas farmhouse. I mean, when I say fixer upper, I'm talking fixer upper. (laughs) I'm thinking now in my life, it's funny. I'm like, I have this common thread of like a love for before and afters. You know, I'm like, I got the photography thing going on of before and afters. And I have the, that's what I meant earlier about restoration. I have the home passion project of like the before and after. And I also have the love for people, the gospel story of like before and afters. (laughs) So that's a common thread that is like kind of woven throughout my story in life. But yeah, but four years ago is May of 2018. So almost four years ago, I was house hunting for my first home and I came across this 1886 farmhouse fixer-upper and oddly felt drawn to it and purchased it. And in the journey of all this, I felt, I had no idea at the time why. I didn't know it would become what it is today or how the Lord would use it or that he even had plans for it, but purchased it. And I began naturally as a photographer. First step was we gutted the home. I came in, I said, if you guys, the contractors can just gut it and pull it back to the studs. We'll sheetrock it. And then I'll blank canvas. We'll paint everything white. I'll start from there and build it up. So we did that. During the process of that, I naturally, as a photographer, started photographing it room to room. It's been a very slow process. I didn't do this overnight. Some people have the means to do that. But my story has been, it's been very slow. I've gone room to room, piece by piece. And in writing and sharing about that, man, it's resonated with people across the world. It's shocked me. I started sharing and the Lord would give me some sort of revelation about this room and I gutted it and I would creatively like design it and restore it and I would write about it and I would say it parallels to our journeys, you know, as believers in our hearts, the human soul and homes. And Jesus talked a lot about, he used, I always say he used the analogies and parables, home stuff like foundations and buildings. And he used seeds and seasons, like agricultural stuff to like, make us understand. So the home has kind of been like a modern day parable, I call it. Jesus used those because people were able to see and like understand better. And so I think that's what the home has been. It's like a modern day parable as I've restored and as I am restoring it Mm -hmm. room by room, piece by piece, 
lovingly with intentionality, restoring it. It's been like my life and my journey and how Christ has come into, we're swinging back to the beginning of this conversation, but the rooms of my heart, room by room, piece by piece, digging in the crevices and cracks that I didn't want him to and healing every single part of my life so that I could live that John 10, 10 life, life to the full. So the house has been an amazing parallel to my story, but I always say it's everyone's story. This home is me, but it's all of us, the message of restoration. And I, I'm sure there's moments where my wife, Kim, and I have done a little bit of house work, like portable <laughs> concrete countertops, you know, some stuff that's kind of fun like that. And I know yeah. there's, a, there's a moment where you kind of think, is this worth it? Like so much work, you can imagine the final product, like you can see that. But there is so much work that's involved in the process of getting to that place. As you talk about your farmhouse, I know it's a passion of yours. I know it is. The way you describe it, and if anybody, again, goes to your Instagram account and just reads the descriptions of how you are walking your audience through the process, I know you care about this. How has this farmhouse been a gift to you? in spite of the massive amount of work, blood, sweat, and tears (laughs) that the process has been? Like, what has been the gift of this farmhouse for you? Yeah, so restoration is hard and it's beautiful all at the same time. So like my personal journey, that my soul work, my heart work with the Lord, house has been the same thing. There's been seasons of ease. There's been seasons of joy and highs in the house. There's been seasons where the house, I'm living in it, and it wasn't quite yet what I want it to be. And I even say that in a tone, it's like frustrated. You can probably hear it, but as a visionary, I see this room and I can't quite get it yet to where I want it to be, or I'm exhausted. And I've had seasons in the home where I on Instagram about this, did I do the right thing? You know, I want to just sell the thing. And and then the Lord will lovingly bring me back new mercies every morning. But it's taught me that restoration is a process. It's taught me restoration is hard work. It's taught me that restoration requires partnership with God, me stepping into partnership with Him. And like I said earlier, believing His truth over my feelings. And so it's the house continually kind of preaches to me. That there's so many things I do to it. And during the day in the Lord, even in the yard, the Lord will speak to me and He'll, he'll show me things about myself through it. And so that's been really amazing and life-changing. It will always be a special place to me because what it's like houses my story. What are some of the messages that you receive from other people? who are tracking with you in this restoration process. Yeah, it's been really cool. It's been an honor for people to walk so closely. I feel like people really, really have tracked with me for the whole four years. I don't know. It's been really, I don't know if rewarding is the right word for me, but just the messages I get, I've been a little bit more open and a little bit more open as time has gone on about my story, my journey. And through that vulnerability and me sharing what Christ has done in me, even in ministry, you know, I talk about, like I said, being in a minister's home and being from a ministry family. And for example, I've had anonymously, obviously, I've had even ministries, big ministries, pastors, wives, and different people write me and go, man, through you sharing this journey and through your vulnerability, it's really, the Lord's really starting to show me some things about my own journey, my own life. And even some cycles in my life. I'm not really living to the full. And so I've decided to start seeing a counselor and then me kind of writing these people and walking them through their healing journey. So that's been, I don't know, it's just been, like I said, it's a modern day parable. And I think it's created space for people to kind of see how 
Christ works, even in the broken places, even in the not. I say a lot, I'll never probably put a bow on this house. Ta-da, it's restored, everyone, we're done. It's kind of given people that space and that I hope a grace message of we are continually pursuing Christ daily and being sanctified and transformed. But let's all pursue him together. Let's all pursue healing. None of us are above it. Let's like journey this thing together. So I think that that's what it's done. And that's what it's been really cool to get the messages. Like that's been the fuel behind the fire that like (laughs) behind this whole thing. So when you are asking that question, did I bite off more than I could chew? You said that the house is from 1886? 1800s, yeah, 1886. It's actually the, um, I just found this out. I didn't know it. It's either the fourth or fifth home in the suburb I live in, in the town that I live in. There's so much history. So I think about the origin of it. There wasn't even a bathroom in the home when the home was originally built. They had outhouses. And now we have all this digital 2022. I have like the ring doorbell and the all kinds of stuff digital, you know, and I'm like, how cool that the house is seen, all the evolving. There are a lot of leaders that we probably both connect with who know they need healing and restoration. They know it. If they sit in the moment, they know it. They know there is something in their life that needs to enter into a process. What would you speak leader to leader? What would you speak to anybody who knows they need restoration and they're just hesitating on taking a step in that process? I kind of circle back. I loop back to when I shared a little bit ago with you about the beginning of my healing journey. I believe in those quiet places when you get along with God, no matter what you do, if you're a pastor, teacher, author, speaker, whatever you're doing, We know, like you said, when we need healing and pain does demand to be felt. If you have undealt with unhealed wounds in your life, no matter what role you're playing in life, you're going to be bleeding out in some way. So I used that analogy earlier. I was putting band-aids over bullet holes. I was bleeding out and trying to cover it with whatever, Christianese or theological scripture, whatever that I wasn't really applying to my life. And it wasn't working. I came to a place in life where what I was doing was not working and it was affecting relationships. It was affecting me. Like I said, I wasn't, I was struggling with severe anxiety, severe depression, perfectionism. I was trying to earn my way to like fix all these things with answers that weren't bringing wholeness to me, uh, true wholeness. And so for whoever's listening, no matter what role you play, I think sometimes it's scary because we get into these roles where we are pastors of big churches and we think that if I share this or whatever, it's going to, but Christ has walked with me through every single season, through every single hurt, through every single pain. I always say the first step is to take it to God, like I talked about, obviously, but pray about, I believe, a trusted source. doesn't have to be a lot, but either a counselor you trust or a person you deeply trust, another minister, somebody you know that you really, really deeply trust and begin the healing work. Refuse to go one more day. I'm so, so grateful. I've never regretted one day, even being, like I said, out of Bible school and being from a minister's family, even being in ministry family today and having all the people in my family that people know. I threw all that to the side, cast aside every weight that so easily hinders you and run this race. And so begin that journey. And I've never once regretted it. I've never regretted going to a counselor and working through this. So I just encourage anybody listening to like begin the process today. Don't wait another day. Christ is ready and waiting to heal you and has a plan even to use your pain. I believe your ministry will be better because you deal with it with Him. So 
don't let shame or fear or any of that stuff stop you. You have beautiful media that's out in the world. Moments that you have captured. If all of that was gone and you had a single message that you would want to share with the world because all of your media has been erased and you are now offered an opportunity to share a single message with the world, what do you feel like would be the most important message that you would want the world to know? I think if all media and everything was gone tomorrow, it really is like I'm a storyteller. So what I've shared even on media is who I am. So this story of no matter what you've done, no matter where you are or where you're going or where you've been, like Christ wants to make broken things whole. Christ wants Mm -hmm. to restore you. I would preach that message tomorrow, even if I had, you know, no social media, no anything. The photography was gone. Everything was gone. And I had a moment to sit down with people or preach one message on a stage. I would preach that same message tomorrow. So restoration. We talk a lot about on the podcast, just about leadership. And we talk about the fact that leadership is not titles and positions. Leadership yeah. is your is influence. It's really about, are you stewarding the influence that God has given you? And are you using the gifts and the abilities that you have? When you think about somebody who is a great leader, what does that mean to you? Like I said, I feel like God gave us the model for life and effective leadership. So when he said the greatest commandments are to love God and love people, I love what you said about influence. So I think it's loving God first every day. Instead of looking at these big things that we're going to, it's daily assignments, God, getting into agreement with God as a leader. I'm not looking to tomorrow. I'm not looking to next week or where this will lead. I'm looking at today, being faithful today, loving you and the people first mentality of loving people. And that thread and using that blueprint that Jesus in red letter gave me has actually, instead of focusing on the big things, those little things, that's actually led me. Those are the footprints that have led me to where I am today. So I I hope people appreciate that it took us quite a while to <laughs> it did. hey I mean, and, and I have to give you the credit for that. No. You have been the kindest, oh my goodness, most flexible. I appreciate you. I do appreciate that. People have busy schedules and I think it happens when it's supposed to happen. Right. And I really I feel like you have added so much value to people, especially in the area of restoration. I hope that this episode gives people hope that you are not an abandoned farmhouse that nobody wants. That's great. uh, That God does want you and that your story is not over and that there is so much more to be written. And I just come back to, I think what we said a little bit earlier, that restoration is not a destination. Restoration is a God process. And it's always becoming more than you thought you could become. And I take me back to what you said in the very beginning. You said restoration on a human level is to bring something back to what it was. To its original condition. Yeah. And then restoration on a God level was what? Yeah. So restoration in Webster's like in the natural is to bring something back to its original condition or its original for the intent of the designer. But biblical restoration is not only to bring it back to its original condition, to what it was meant to be, but also better. So only Christ, I always say there's a, there's a difference in being restored and restored through Christ because he makes things better than new, better than before. Mm. And only he could do that. 
I do a lot of speaking at your farmhouse. We'll preach. I'll just, I'll just, uh, yeah. I'll just say. <laughs> well, like, I always tell people I've been given like this blueprint. It's like the gospel message, man. I even kind of echoing what you said a second ago. When I bought this house, it's like Christ sees us. Like I, there were so many people that passed this house and didn't give it a second look. It sat on the market and I saw it and I saw past all of that. I saw past all the broken down porch and the shutters and all the things that were hanging and the floors that needed to be fixed, the ceiling, the cut, the paint was chipping. But I really did then. I saw it even kind of blows my mind now to see pictures from when I bought the home. I'm like, what in the world? I cannot even believe. But I saw what it could be and should be in the way, like just like Christ sees us. He doesn't see us for what we are. So many people would pass that never give us a second look. Humans see humans and what we are, but Christ sees what we could be and should be. And like I say in restoration, when you partner with Him and you walk that journey out with Him, He'll lead you to a place where you're Ephesians 3.20. It's above what I even prayed for. So I would have stopped, like I said, so short of what Christ had for me had He answered my prayers Mm -hmm. and the way I thought my life should go and what I should. So this house is, like I said, it's just, it's the gospel message, even of how Christ sees us. I think we could even become obsessive on God. Why didn't you answer? Why didn't you answer? And what if, and I think with God, there are so many moments of what if, what if the unanswered prayer is because God saw your prayers as limiting your full God potential. And if God were to give you exactly what you had asked for, you wouldn't live up to the purpose that he put inside of you, that there is more. And I think it takes a lot of patience. It's a lot of reflection. That's a good reminder for me to not just jump on God with frustration because that prayer is not being answered in the way that I think it should be. But just pausing and saying, what if, what if there is more? What if I was putting a ceiling on the potential that God had for this moment, for this situation, or for me? And so it is honestly such a joy. I'm glad we got to finally connect. For people that they want to find out more about your work, uh, how do people connect with you? What are your platforms that people can go if they want to check out more of what you're doing? Yeah, I'd love that. So I have the weird, you know, weird first name, Miss Shaley. So that is actually, I don't have to use my last name on any of the platforms, which is funny, but so they could find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the things. I'm not really a big TikToker, but I'm trying to get <laughs> into it, but it's just Miss Shaley. So M-E-S-H-A-L-I. And I'd love to connect and I'd be so honored if people would follow along on the journey. So, And I hope that everybody walks away from this episode believving that restoration is possible. That's my hope. So thanks Mine again. Too. Thank you so much. I hope this episode with Michelle has impacted and inspired you. Send me a DM and let me know. I read every message that comes in. Make sure you screenshot this episode, share it with someone and post it to your social media accounts. Don't forget to tag me so I can give you a repost. I know there is someone who you know who needs to hear this episode. Thank you for sharing, subscribing, and rating the podcast. Seriously, that means the world to me. Look for new episodes to drop every month. You won't want to miss those. Thank you for taking the time to invest in yourself. You are worth it. Remember, the best time to rise and lead is now.